Sometimes in life we just suffer. Sometimes it's from being totally withdrawn. Or so much stress that we are totally anxious. Or so tired that we are totally burnt out. But our current position is not our final destination. No, indeed. There's hope. So whether it's your personal life, your career, your relationship, your business, or your job, we say there's reason to believe again. And we present from Andy's personal development, the breakout room. It's the place for health, happiness, and prosperity. Stay tuned for more. Join me in welcoming our next guest in the breakout room. She is Emily Sander. She is a leadership coach, chief of staff, and author, and is the founder of Next Level Coaching and the podcast host of Leveraging Leadership. She's the author of two publications entitled An Insider's Perspective on the Chief of Staff, as well as Hacking Executive Leadership. Let's welcome our guest and friend, Emily Sander, live in the breakout room. So hi, this is Andy of Andy's Personal Development, and we are currently live in the breakout room with our special guest for today's episode. Her name is Emily Sander leadership coach, chief of staff, and author. She is also a podcast host for the podcast entitled Leveraging Leadership. And we're happy to have Emily today with us live in the breakout room. I will give her the opportunity to say so much more about herself. So without any further ado, let's welcome our guest, Emily Sander. Emily, how are you? Welcome to the breakout room. I'm doing great now that I'm here. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you so much for being with us. Emily, we normally begin by asking you to have a little bit of fun going down memory lane. And so we'd like to know from you what it was like for Emily as a young lady growing up with your parents, your family, your village, your city, wherever you grew up. Tell us a bit about that experience and how it led you to your place of standing now in this life? Yes, so I learned very on not to label people and not to judge people. And the reason I say that is because I was actually adopted as a baby. So I was born in Seoul, South Korea. 
And my parents flew over and picked me up and brought me back to the States. And I was raised in Seattle. And my parents are, are white and I'm obviously Korean. And so, you know, people would be like, where's your real mom and dad? And, and you know, it, you know, you don't know your real mom and dad and all these different things. Um, and my dad actually helped me a lot with that because when he used to read me bedtime stories, when it was his turn to read, he would do comic books because that's what he loved. And I love Superman. And so when he kind of could tell I was having a rough time and he knew I love Superman, he said, hey, Em, you know what? Superman is adopted. And I was like, oh my goodness. Now I think being adopted is cool. So I always say, if you're, don't label people, but if you're going to label someone, give them the right label or a good label. Um, and that's been a theme throughout my whole life that I've held on to. Yeah, Emily, thanks for sharing. We appreciate that story. So you had some cultural barriers to cross and to deal with. How challenging was it for you? You said that people were asking you about your real parents and stuff. Were there any areas in which the challenges came and you had to find a way to respond or to manage yourself in that challenge? Certainly, I mean, I had a generally a positive experience. I had a wonderful childhood, so I don't want to make it sound like it was some traumatic event, but there were times when you would get just odd questions like, do you know karate? Do you like rice? Do you like sushi? And, uh, you know, I, I did take Taekwondo and I do happen to like rice and sushi. Um, so you, you kind of have to, um, your response to it, you have to choose your response, right? So people are going to be people are going to be people out in the world. And I could get sour and bitter and mad every time that happens, or I can, you know, tell a joke or, or say it with a smile, like, you know, you know, I don't take karate, but I could still kick your butt type of thing. So, um, how, we, how we respond. Um, and I think in the, in the business world, certainly um, it was funny because before Zoom and video yeah. was just commonplace, I would talk to people on the phone and I don't have, you wouldn't be able to tell um, I'm, I'm anything but American right. from my accent. Exactly. Yeah. And my name is is not one where you would say, oh, she's probably from somewhere in Asia. And so I would have spoken with clients for years and years and years. And then when I went to a conference and I met them in person for the first time, they're like, oh, you're Emily Sander. I was like, yes, I'm, I'm like, oh, okay. And it wasn't a bad thing. It was just like a second of like, well, oh, okay. Let me recalibrate um, that. But uh, that that was one. And then the only other kind of main theme in the business world is I was almost always the youngest and mm -hmm. or least experienced in my group. So in any leadership team or management team I was on. Um, and so when I remember going in for interview loops, like people would come in to interview with us yeah. and I was on, like I was one of the people they were gonna interview with and they would see my name and title on the little roster or little agenda. And when they saw, you know, director of client management or VP of operations, Emily Sander, they did not expect me to walk in the door. <laughs> so they did not expect a young female minority to walk in the door. And the way people reacted to that was all across the board. So I knew that when I went in, I just had to be myself and kind of collect some data points about how they were, how they yeah. were responding. So that's, that's how it's affected me. Wonderful. Very refreshing, Emily. I'm really impressed by the passion and the sense of commitment that you had just to be a normal person, despite the challenges of others around you with regards to your background and your race and stuff. So 
Emily, how did you desire your passion for becoming involved in the business world? You spent 15 plus years, but how did you begin to develop the passion for getting involved in the business world? What was that experience like for you? I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Yeah. And both my parents were successful business people in their own in their own respective fields. And so I just kind of assumed that I would I would go into business and I also assumed I would somehow get good at it like them. Um, but uh, I came back from I did an internship right after university in, in Washington, D.C. So I went to our capital for a summer and that was fantastic. And when I came back, I got this uh, I got this gig at Amazon. And it was mm -hmm. like this top secret hush hush. I had mm -hmm. to sign a whole bunch of NDAs not to tell anything about it. And it ended up being, I was a tester for the original Kindle device. And wow. I, couldn't, I couldn't tell anyone about that. And then yeah. it launched right before Christmas and I got to tell my family and friends like, no, I wasn't working for the CIA. I was working for Amazon on this really cool project. Yeah. And that job um, just led to a whole bunch of different things. So doors opened, I met people, I did this, I got into that. And I didn't have any um, you know, game plan, so to speak. I just kind of let things unfold and took the next best option and built and built a, a good career off of it. Um, when I got intentional was when I went into coaching, but that that comes later. But I kind of fell into business, just kind of like, let me let me stumble in this direction and see what I can make of it. Yeah, great. I suppose the being involved in that Kindle launch was something very exciting for you. And you had to sign all these NDAs and keep it quiet and stuff. But you were also part of a six-person startup uh, building a global client management from scratch. And you involved in scaling people and processes at more established companies. But then you became chief of staff for a CEO and a leadership team. How did you get into that role and how challenging was it for you when you got that appointment? Yeah, so how I got, so I started as uh, director of strategic initiatives or senior director of strategic initiatives. That was my first role at that company. And how I got in there was um, the company I worked for was private equity backed. Mm -hmm. And so I had worked with this private equity firm at a previous company. And so they called back the CEO and myself um, to come to come to be in the leadership team at this new company. And so that's how I got in the door. And then once I was there, I was working with our CEO and um, he actually came to me with the idea of, hey, Emily, um, I went from strategic initiatives to VP of operations. And then it became clear like he needed someone like a chief of staff to, mm -hmm. to help run different things across the company yeah. and also to yeah. keep him focused and prioritized. Okay. So that's how, I, that's how I got into that one. Great. I wanna read something here from your information and it's concerning failure. And you express it in a very simple way, but I want to get your take on it with regards to the practical application. How to use the failure loop. You're going to tell us what that is, but it says here, it's a framework that recognizes failure as a part of a key of progress. And oftentimes it seems like failures are a sign of a successful person. How do we tie that two together? Because here now we're talking about making decisions about continuing after you have failed. How do you bring the two together so that you produce something that is called now the failure loop? 
Yes. So the failure loop is a framework that turns the concept of failure on its head. So I say, I talk about how important it is for leaders to fail. And people are like, wait, wait, what? You don't want to fail? Exactly, yeah. But I train them to do that in a way where they transform a failure event into Mm -hmm. a win. And if you do that, and if you do that over and over and over again, and Mm -hmm. you are willing to be wrong, you're willing to look stupid, you're willing to fall short, and you do that over and over and over again, and you transform that into a lesson learned, and you apply it going forward, that is how you become elite. So knowing how to do that and getting your mindset right so you you propel yourself in that direction, you actually become elite because most people aren't willing to do that. They're not willing to do that. So if you fail more times than other people even try, you're going to be successful at whatever you do. And so that's what the failure loop is about. And I have a visual in my book and it has these uh, individual loops connected in a chain and the Mm -hmm. chain goes up and to the right, which is the direction of progress. Yeah. If you'll notice, and you can kind of see it in the graph better, but if you think about the individual loop, there's a spot where it goes back down into the left, which is not the direction you want to go. And it, when you're in that section, you want to say, okay, I can sit here and stop. Mm-hmm. And I can sit here and feel bad about myself yeah. and berate myself. Or I can be like, this is exactly where I need to be. Mm-hmm. What did I learn? How do I put that into action going forward? And you just propelled yourself up the chain oh. of loops. Okay. So if you learn how to do that and just like embrace that mentality, oh, you're going to take yourself to the next level. I love it, Emily. But here's the thing. I want to get from you a practical commitment of how someone can actually use some level of technique. You spoke about mindset. But what are some of the practical things that people can do to help them to understand that out of failure, they can still continue to adopt a mindset of success? What are some of the practical things that they can do to get their minds to focus on that positive and advantageous side of failure? Yeah, so the first thing I would ask is you can ask yourself, if you knew that you couldn't fail, what would you be doing today that you're not doing? So mm-hmm. if you knew you couldn't fail, would that change what you go after? Would that change what you start and, and do? Most people's like, yes, if I knew I couldn't fail, if I knew it would be a rousing success, I would do X, Y, and Z projects. So mm-hmm. let me just put that out there um, as a question to ask yourself, you know, today, tomorrow, every week. And then I would, then I would talk about um, in terms of building a habit. So we, we don't do things because we're scared right? Like fear is a pretty powerful emotion. So let me ask you, how much willpower did it take for you to brush your teeth this morning? Mm -hmm. Okay. How much mental fortitude did it take? How much, you know, angst and anxiety did it take you to tie your shoes today? Right. Probably not a lot. You do that on autopilot, right? If you build into your system the same way um, about going after failure, it's not, it's not as scary. And the way you do that is by uh, it's kind of it's called the confidence competence loop and that's mm-hmm. in there so you 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 don't wait to feel confident you don't wait to feel unafraid you do the action that proves to yourself you can do it um, wow. and so i would say what if you take your goal okay what do i what, what would i do if i couldn't fail okay i would um you know i would start my own business okay but that seems really scary 
And if that fails, I'm going to spend a lot of money and I'm going to have to tell my family and friends I did this and it didn't work out and fall on my face. Okay, well, what is like the first step you could do in that direction? Not like quit your job today and like start a whole business. Like what's the first step you could do? That's a little bit outside of your comfort zone, but it's a step in that direction. It might be like researching something or going to a networking event or something like this. And so, okay, I'm scared to do that. And um, I might, I might, it might not work out the way I want, but let me take a step in that direction. So the practical advice I would give is ask yourself, you know, what would I really do if I knew it would be successful? Mm-hmm. What's that overall goal? And like, what's the baby step I can do today about that? And then do it. Yeah, yeah. sounds interesting. So you have a podcast and you have written two books. I want to get to the podcast, but before I get to the podcast, how did you decide to transition from being an executive in the business world to coaching? I was looking back at all the roles I had and I said, you know, what's my favorite, what's my favorite part out of any role I've had at any company. And there was like this, this theme, just consistent theme that emerged. And it was the one-on-one interactions I would have with people where I would be mentoring them or advising them or just helping them up their professional game in some way. And so I thought, well, if I could wake up every morning and do nothing but that, I would be, you know, I would, I would never work a day in my life type of thing. And so I said, that's a great way uh, to serve people. I feel like I have, you know, a certain talent and um, affinity with people through coaching. And so I'm like, this makes sense to me. I'm going to take the plunge and do it. And so um, I will say it's one of the best decisions I've made. It was terrifying and exhilarating all at the same time, but I wake up, I mean, Andy, I wake up every day and I'm excited and I get to I get to serve people and help people. And yeah. at the end of the day, when I'm tired because it's hard work, and I, I go to bed and I'm like, I did something meaningful today. Yes. I made a difference today. Yes, that's a powerful testimony. I love it. I feel your passion and I know that you're fulfilled as a result. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing, Emily. So tell us a bit about the podcast, Leveraging Leadership. What made you decide to do it and what is the main focus that you want your audience to get out of the podcast? Sure, so Leveraging Leadership unpacks the art of business leadership. So right. it's I see it as an art. And the title, you know, Leveraging Leadership is where is your greatest point of influence? You know, okay. where can you do an input and get maximal output? So how can you best serve your team? What are the top couple of things and tools and frameworks that you can use to better yourself as a leader? So I, I have, frameworks and concepts and tools that I talk about um, on solo episodes. And then I have amazing guests come on and talk about their field of expertise and how they come at things. And I, I love all that stuff. So um, that, uh, that is what leveraging leadership is all about. It's, it started this year. So it started in 2023 and it's kind of a baby podcast, but uh, one day I'll try to be, try to be like you and be as, as good as your podcast. That's a compliment. I'll take that. But is it basically just for persons who are career oriented, Mm. career minded business persons? Or are there some principles that ordinary people can apply to their lives as well? Sure. So I think it's through the lens of business leadership. However, I consider 
a leader to be anyone. So you don't have to yeah. run a yeah. Fortune 50 company to be a leader. You right. are probably a leader in your community and your family. You're the leader of yourself every day. And so there are absolutely universal concepts okay. uh, on the show. Okay, great. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing. So you have written two books, Emily, Hacking Executive Leadership and An Insider's Perspective on the Chief of Staff. The last one sounds very intriguing to me because you're speaking from a place of uh, practical experience. But tell us about hacking executive leadership. Is this publication the name misleading? Is it misleading? I mean, it's certainly not hacking in the sense of it's a shortcut, uh -huh. right? Because there's uh -huh. no shortcuts. Um, but they are, it is in terms of kind of the frameworks and uh, you know, if you look, think about like code, like hacking into your own leadership code and what you need to do okay. there. So that book is uh, filled with frameworks. We talked about the failure loop. That's one framework in there. We talk about three circles, which is about decision making, um, recruiting and hiring, just different things you can plug and play um, for business, mostly business leadership uh, on that one. So um, I've, I've gotten feedback that it's very tactical and practical, and it's not a lot of, you know, highfalutin concepts. Yes. So people yeah. can read that on a plane ride and, and find something to implement. But that was that was my first book. So the second book was, um, was I learned a lot from the first book. I'll just say that. <laughs> An insider's perspective on the chief of staff. What particularly are you focusing on um, from your personal experience that you think was enough to publish it, to share it, and the message that you want people to get from an insider's perspective, your perspective as a matter of Yes, so I had the role of chief of staff. I loved it. It was my favorite role. It was so dynamic and I got to learn about different parts of the business and be involved in so many things and different decisions. Right. And I would I would tell people what I did and they were like, oh, that sounds cool. Like, but, but what is that type of thing? They give you kind of like a tilted head, like, what, what does that mean? Um, and so I was like, okay, like people don't quite know what it is. Um, and then once I got to be uh, a chief of staff and a coach and people saw I was a chief of staff and coach, I had several chiefs of staff reach out to me for coaching. Um, and, and there was a whole bunch of different different varieties of, of chiefs of staff, but there were some common themes in there. And so I thought, oh, that's interesting. Uh, so let me do a book to explain what a chief of staff is in business, by the way, because there's chiefs of staff in politics, in the military, and in higher education. But what, what does the chief of staff really do? And then for, for CEOs who want to bring a chief of staff on their team, you know, how would they use the chief of staff um, role in their organization? And then for people who are in the chief of staff role, who want to be more effective or prospective chiefs of staff, this is a great book for them to learn um, about the role and also learn what traits you need and what qualities you need uh, to be a good chief of staff. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Thanks for sharing, Emily. I want to focus a bit on something that's a little more on a professional level, but also a sense of concern. Uh, Emily, if you look around carefully, you realize that particularly since after COVID, we have had an upsurge in people having the challenge with all levels of depression, anxiety, ADHD, AD, burnt out, withdrawal, etc. What are some of the challenges that the people that you coach, your clients, your coaches, your coaching partners, 
What are some of the challenges that they face around those areas, if any at all? And how are they addressed by you with regards to your coaching techniques that you use in those sessions? The biggest thing is they're usually leading a company or a team that's going through a change or they have people who are anxious on their team. So they might you know, be dealing with depression or anxiety themselves, but they're also trying to lead uh, other people through change. And so I coach a lot of my clients on, you know, first of all, take care of yourself and get yourself in a good headspace and a good uh, space and then be able to lead others through change. Okay. And the biggest thing is human beings often label change. They say it's bad. I don't like change. I want to know how things are going to turn out. I want to yeah. know the plan and the timing and the people. And sometimes life gives you that. And a lot yeah. of times it doesn't. And so what I work with my clients on is um, labeling change as neutral. Okay. So change in and of itself is neutral. It could be good. It could be bad. It could be the same, just different. You don't know. So mm -hmm. automatically slapping that negative label on is yeah. almost hurting you unnecessarily. So yeah. if you say, okay, like, okay, something just happened in the organization. Something just happened in our neighborhood. Um, it's a change. I don't know what it is yet. Let me stay open-minded. Let me stay neutral to what's going to happen. Uh, and eventually you can get your mind going in the positive direction. Like, hey, like what opportunity is here? Like what's yeah. something yeah. advantageous here um, and go that direction. So that's, that's a common theme. Okay, great. So I want to look at something else with regards to, you hear this term going around a lot these days, imposter syndrome. Mm. Have you had to deal with anyone who is challenged by that or who seem to be somehow leaning in that direction, maybe a CEO or a CSO or a COS? And if so, how did you help them to deal or manage with it with regards to that imposter syndrome scenario? Yes. Yeah, so the reason I smiled when you were first talking about that is because <laughs> I had and probably have imposter syndrome to a lesser degree. So if you would have met me at 20 years old, Andy, holy cow, I did not belong here. I was not good enough. I was not worthy. I had to be perfect. It was it was an uphill battle. Um, I've come a long way. I, I'll tell you that I've come a long way. Um, and I can tell you that I'm, I'm good at certain things and I do belong uh, at certain roles, which I wouldn't have been able to say to you before. But certainly, certainly, I think um, CEOs, chiefs of staff, they deal with this all the time. And um, if you're if you're someone who knows someone in one of those roles, understand they're a person too. So they might have a fancy title, right? But believe you me, they're going through some of the same stuff and uh, they they don't have it easy. So people think, oh, CEOs have it easy. They get to make all the decisions and yeah, they get to make all the decisions and they get to decide who gets laid off and who doesn't and yeah. where to invest and where not to. Like those are weighty decisions. Um, so certainly I work on, I work on that with them and uh, just, getting their mindset right and getting their lens right. And then yeah. also, like we mentioned with the with the failure loop, like you got to step outside of your comfort zone and grow and grow yourself into those leadership moments. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Emily. So with regards to mentorship, is there anyone in your life that is doing any sort of mentoring for you, Emily? We have this one person sometimes that we just go to when we are in a situation where we need to make a decision, it might be a hard choice. 
And we just don't want to make it like that. We want a second opinion. But the trust that we have in people is limited. But there may be just one person that you trust enough. That still voice is going to help you keep grounded. Look at all the angles. Check out all the information. And then they wouldn't tell you what to do, but they would lead you in a particular direction. Is that person available to you in your life, Emily? Yes, I have several of them. So I kind of call it my board of directors. So <laughs> if you're the CEO of your own life, which by the way, if you're listening to this, you are the CEO of your own life every freaking day. And yeah. then you should have a board of directors. And so okay. I have um, I have a team of coaches I work with. So I'm a coach, but I also have coaches. Yes. And then I have two former colleagues from work that I just got to know very well. We've kept in touch and we really have that trust. And then my best friend. So if I have a really big decision and I'm like, like, what, what do I do? Like, these are both good and bad in different ways. Yeah. And I want to seek counsel on it. Mm -hmm. I'll go to those people and just get their opinions and get their thought process and, and have them ask me questions yeah. that I hadn't thought of before. And, and my board of directors, you know, they're, I use that as a, as a fun name, but they're just people, like you said, I, I trust and who know me well, and importantly, want what's best for me. So they okay. have no agenda other, other than just like wanting me to be successful and wanting me to be happy. And so yeah. if you have even one person like that, great. Um, if you have more than one person, just, just know you have that team in place. Yeah, that's really good. Wonderful, thanks for sharing. Is there any part of what you do, uh, does it involve any form of meditation or you spoke about Taekwondo martial arts, is there an incorporation of that in the process? Because I know sometimes with coaching, you get the opportunity to uh, deal with the person on a holistic basis. And they might want information on dieting, exercise and stuff. Is that part of what you do as well in your coaching process? Yes. So if you're asking, do I coach people on mindfulness? Yes, yeah, sometimes. Uh, if you're asking me, if, do I incorporate that in my yeah. own practice, absolutely. And right. I will say, um, again, if you'd asked me like five to 10 years ago, like, Emily, do you meditate? I would have laughed at you. <laughs> I would have laughed in your face. Like, I don't have time to meditate. That's, you know, who has time to meditate? And now I've pretty much come full circle. And there's studies upon study upon study. And I know it from experience now that it's one of the best things you can do. Yes. You will get so much out of it. All your other, the quality of your, other activities will just be higher because you are, are more mindful. So I do something in the morning just to just to start off my day. I'll sit and either just breathe or maybe read something or maybe do an affirmation just to kind of ground myself, ground myself, center myself. And then, for instance, before I, I popped on with you, I took a few minutes just to, to ground myself in, and and yeah. I'm, I'm in this room. I'm like in this space and I want to be present with uh, with uh, my new friend and uh, just have a good conversation. So I do it at the beginning of the day and then mm -hmm. at certain points to to kind of level set myself throughout the day. Yeah. Right. You know, Tony Robbins said that um, we basically have four seasons in our lives. And he likened it onto the four natural seasons of probably a North American place or Europe, spring, summer, autumn, and winter. And he gave each period um, an age bracket, you know, like from six to 18, you are in springtime. And then from 18 to 42 or 43, 
it's summer. And then from 43 to 60 or 62, it's autumn. And then from there on till the end of your life, it's basically winter. And so when you associate what could happen in those seasons together, what has taken place in your life, you think about the fact that you just said, every day someone is a CEO and you have the opportunity to make decisions in your life. How important it is for people to understand that despite the season that they are in, mm. the decision, the final decision about what their life should be like is still really up to them and not just because of the season that their life is in. Yes, that's a really interesting question. So we all have seasons in our life. So sometimes yep. you'll be up on the mountain and things will be going great and everything you touch is golden. And then there'll be times, right, when you know everything's going wrong and, and right. you can't do anything right. And I think you have to have some sort of centering and some mm -hmm. sort of anchor and grounding. And whether yep. you, you know, go to you know, religion or universe or nature or, or whatever, family and friends for that, you have to have that center because life will toss you around, right? Yep. And so you've got to know who you are and what you're about. And you gotta know your values because those are the, the anchor or almost the armor that will protect yes. you um, yes. from life. So I think I would encourage people as the CEO of your life is come up with your mission statement or your value statement and what you stand for. So if you can articulate what you are about and what you stand for, no matter what situation or what season you're in, you can remind yourself of that. Okay, like even though I'm in winter season or maybe going through a really rough time, I know I'm about um, serving others, being excellent, acting with integrity and all these different things. Yeah, wonderful, I love that. Thanks for sharing, Emily. What does the future look like for you and also your coaching practice? Are there any new things, new developments, new projects that you're working on? Or is it just to improve on what you're currently doing right now? Right now it's improving on the on the book and the podcast. So I did both of those this year. So those were kind of the big the big lifts and big projects for this year. So I definitely want to get those out to people and um, and uh, help people through those things. And then yeah, I have lots and lots of ideas for you know 2024 um, and training modules and some different things, some future books that people have given me ideas about. Uh, okay. Maybe going into the public speaking, professional speaking, and doing some things there. I've been asked to be on a few panels, so um, yep. all of those all of those avenues are are open for me. So I'm excited to see where it goes. But mostly just coaching, and just that, this is my way to to help people and uh, to try to try to get them a little bit closer to the top of their potential. Yeah, yeah. The thing about it is that Emily, your, your personality is quite engaging. And there's a warmth in your voice that I think people will easily gravitate to. So I think you're on the right track. In terms of what the world is experiencing right now, there are so many challenges and there's so much talk of wars and rumors of wars, ongoing conflicts, some internal, some external. We have the upsurge of the divide in terms of the haves and the have nots in society. It seems as though people who are socially called the minority are basically getting what remains after those at the top have decided to do what they're going to do. What is your pet peeve like with regards to what is happening in the world today? If there's one thing you think we should not have to deal with, what would that be for you? 
Ooh, what is my pet peeve? Um, it's people with the sense of entitlement. Mm. People, because I see that in business, I see that in the world, I, I feel that in my interactions where, you know, sometimes people haven't even worked that hard for what they have, but like, I'm entitled to it and you're wow. down there. When people have that, mm, it just, it rubs me the wrong way. Um, and uh, I will tell you, you know, if I have to do something for that person or with that person, I will, but I'll do it begrudgingly. If I had someone else who's, you know, open and has humility and is self-made and, uh, you know, tries to, even if they, even if they are in a fortunate position, they use it well and they don't act entitled, I, res I respond much differently to those people. So um, I think whatever position you're in, take, take responsibility, um, you know, with, with great power comes great responsibility. So wherever you are, be, uh, own, own where you are. Yeah, Emily, do you think that the current leadership in the world, and I'm not pointing any fingers at any particular country or political party, but the current leadership worldwide, do you think that there's a lack of values? Mm -hmm. And when I say values, I mean in terms of having that level of sensitivity towards the people that they employ to take care of and provide the necessary infrastructure and facilities for. I personally feel that there's a lack of passion mm -hmm. to really understand that as a leader, you're supposed to be also a great servant. Yes. What is the message that you would say to them, most of them? Because I feel like they are somehow missing the point of how they're supposed to be there for their people, whether it be locally or internationally, but just be there with some level of compassion and understand the power of leadership comes with great responsibility as well for servanthood. Two things came up while you were talking. So one is I want leaders to be more courageous uh -huh. and meaning you got to make the tough choices and know that it might be unpopular, right? I mean, we have like these 24-hour news cycles and people are all, you know, buzzing about what was the latest tweet or, you know, what so-and-so said this and, and we don't like it. Um, leaders are leaders because they are courageous and they're able to make those decisions even when it's going to cost them something. And even when certain people aren't going to like it, so I, I want to see that. And then, um, I guess, I guess, along with that is um, people not being scared of. Let me put it this way: people not operating at the surface level, like the news cycle, or how popular am I, or can I get a soundbite in, or can I do a one line like a zinger that'll make someone look bad? What you talked about is deeper than that. You talked about servant leadership and having compassion for people. Um, man, if I saw any leader in any country just do that with reckless abandon, I would be so supportive of them. Just, oh, that would be so refreshing. And I think, you know, in today's world, that would be that would be rare and people would be drawn to it. I mean, people are like, like just, they're drawn to people who, even if you don't agree with them on every single policy or every single po position, if you know that that person is for you and is trying to to do the best for the greater good, you feel that. Oh man, you feel that, right? And you're drawn to it. So I think um, people think they are going to hold on to their power by doing these little tiny, you know, pokes into other people. And really, if they got down deep and led from a place of compassion and a place of being a servant, then they would be more popular than ever. Wow. I wonder how they could get to the point of seeing that. Hmm. Maybe in our next lifetime, I don't know. <laughs> we can only hope, right, Emily? We can only hope. We can only hope. So 
we are coming to the end of the broadcast. We just have about four minutes to go. And I just want you to be on the spot a little bit and maybe have some fun at the same time. Uh, basically, it's three or four questions that I ask and you have two choices in the question. And then I ask you why you made the choice that you made. Um, I'm gonna keep it as North American as I possibly can. So here's question number one. Okay. Would it be ham and cheese for you or peanut butter and jelly? Peanut butter and jelly. Oh, that was quick. <laughs> <laughs> okay, why peanut butter and jelly? Ooh, I don't know. It just tastes better to me. Um, uh, it's like it's like hearty. It's like it's filling, and it's just like mm, it's like little. Uh, it's sweet, but it's also filling, hearty, uh, and crunchy, crunchy. Yeah. Wow, I like that. Okay, <laughs> great. So this one is about sports. Is it the Sunday night baseball or the NFL? NFL. Wow, pick again. Why the NFL? Um, so I'm from Seattle, so I root for the Seattle Seahawks. And I just, my family yeah. has always been a Seahawks fan. So, you know, we watch that every Sunday. And um, I used to play on fantasy football leagues. And I had to mm -hmm. stop that because I watched way too much football. But I still oh. love to watch, watch my Seahawks every Sunday. Yeah, so how you felt after Russell Wilson left? I felt good because uh, <laughs> he got a little bit too big for his britches at the end. He was oh Mr. Goodness. Humble and then he became something else. So Gino's my man. He Gino put right. in his dues and he does the work and he's he's all about the team. So, yeah, <laughs> I like that. I like that. So there are two great companies. One is Microsoft. The other one is Apple. Which one would you prefer? Apple. Mm, why Apple? Um, they, they broke the mold on a lot of things and I use, like, I'm looking at my like iPad and my iPhone. And so I use their products and it's, it's like a certain level of quality you get with Apple. Um, and Steve jobs was just, you know, a genius and an innovator. And so I think, uh, I think Apple is, is my go-to one there. Great. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing. Emily, I would give you the opportunity now to just share your information with our audience how they can get your books if they need your coaching services or anything that you do that they need to get advice, information, assistance with on a professional level, of course, how they can best make contact with you. Certainly, thank you. So my books are available on Amazon, so you can find both of them, Hacking Executive Leadership and An Insider's Perspective to the Chief of Staff. Mm -hmm. And then if you wanna reach out to me, I'd be more than happy to, to hear from you and you can go to my website, it's probably the easiest. So my website is nextlevel.coach. So nextlevel, all one word, .coach. You can find me there. And if you do reach out to me, please, please tell me it was from this show, because I'd like to know. All right, great. So we have some people on and I'm going to just read some comments for you. John Campbell says, great concept. And I think he was speaking about 26 minutes into the show. So we know you're talking about the concept of the CEOs being able to handle themselves properly with regards to how they stay away from their personal feelings and deal with the opportunity to just mm. take care of their employees. Then he says, no compassion meaning lots of rulers and the world seems to be short on leaders. Wow, that's a powerful statement, John. And then he says he loved this program. Thank you so much. Very interesting ideology. Okay, all of that is for Emily. So you have been on fire, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you so much Thank for you. all the comments. And I know that there are others in the background watching as well. Very intrigued and so taking that they can't even say anything. So we are happy to have had Emily Sander on our show. Remember her two books, Hacking Executive Leadership and an Insider's Perspective on the Chief of Staff. You can get them on Amazon. Check out her website, her Twitter, and her LinkedIn pages. Okay, so she also has www.nextlevelcoach. And I guess that's the website that she uses for her coaching and the podcast management services. So you can check her all out online. Emily's available and open. And you can see she has a spirit of welcoming all. It doesn't matter where you come from or who you are. It makes no difference. She is one who understands the power of leadership and servanthood. So until next time, this is Andy of Andy's Personal Development, along with my guest, Emily Sanders, saying thank you so much for your continued support and your commitment. God bless you. We love you. Shalom. Until next time, remember the three watchwords, health, happiness, and prosperity. Namaste. Bye for now.